Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the model work in the opening of Silent Running, from Freeman Lau opening the kitchen window shutter to the cut back to inside the ship. Greetings from the humongous, the Lord humongous. The warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller. Hello, Andrew. Hi, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to know the answer to this question, uh, Andrew, but uh, uh, are you a fan of the film? Oh, yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. 100%. See, see I, I knew I was going to uh, get that uh, answer. Um, so when did you first see it then? Uh, I kind of have vague recollections of a black and white portable TV in my bedroom when I was a kid. And I think it was on probably BBC Two. I mean, it got released in 72. So this might have been around about the time Star Wars got released. And I just remember sort of being able to watch the first 10 or 15 minutes and then my mam saying, oh, school tomorrow or whatever, it had to go off. And then after that, it was probably after Star Wars, I eventually re- kind of caught up with it. Um, again, probably on BBC Two, uh, you know, the, the good old sort of pan and scan copy. Yeah, um, it, it, it was BBC Two. I remember it was on BBC Two. And yeah. I think you're right. It, I, th- I think the BBC and maybe ITV, you know, one, once... Uh, Star Wars came out and and hit big. They were all like, "Well, what can we show that's in a similar vein?" Yeah, and they had put it on. And before I saw it, do you remember all the, all the old books, the the Dennis Gifford books and the Alan Frank books that came out in the seventies, which were devoted to you know horror films or science fiction yeah. films? Yeah, there are always stills from Silent Running in that. So I, I I was aware of Silent Running before I saw it. I knew of it, but I didn't know much about it. Okay. Yeah, I think it's that kind of iconic shot of the sort of three ships together, isn't it? Which was always in those uh, type of books, you know. Um, yeah, or, or Bruce Dern with one of the drones, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I can remember watching it and think, oh, oh, silent running. And, and I think I'd read in the book, you know, that Douglas Trumbull, um, you know, had, had been involved in it. And he was involved in, you know, modern special effects. And I thought, oh, we're going to watch another Star Wars film. Um, I wasn't quite prepared for the seriousness of the film or... Uh, the emotional impact at the end of the film. And I can just remember just being in tears over it. Just, yeah. it, it, it just reduced me to, to a blubbering wreck, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you should say that because probably when I eventually got to see it again, I'd already seen star Wars. I'd seen Battlestar Galactica and things like that. So, you know, you think I'd been sort of type of person to like, this is slow, this is boring, but far from it, I was just drawn in completely mm. by what was going on. Um, and the, I always remember again, sort of the, the sequence where he's telling them about how, you know, if they destroy the plants, you know, look, look at that little girl's face. She'll never get to see these plants, you know, 
I don't know, as a sort of 11, 12 year old, that was really emotional and really sort of stuck with me. And this was way before we kind of had all the kind of, you know, ecology and Greenpeace type stuff. Um, you know, it was a great message, even, you know, when I was a child. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, of course, way, way before its time. Um, um, but it, and I think this was my first ever time I'd actually seen a serious, serious science fiction film. I'd, I hadn't seen 2001 by that point. Um, and I can't, I, I was trying to think of any other serious science fiction film that, I mean, there was Planet of the Apes. I'd seen Planet of the Apes yeah. and uh, maybe the first three Planet of the Apes films. But yeah, there was seriousness to them, but they were still action films, weren't they? This isn't an action film in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of tried 2001, uh, but it probably wasn't until about 1983 when I actually eventually through a mate sort of who really convinced me to sort of go back and watch it you know and how great it was that I actually did then delve into that so this was like you said the first serious one I'd seen as well yeah uh, and so. I, I, I guess it's a testament to the film I think I, I I'm the same as you I had a black and white portable up in my upstairs and my mum couldn't stand science fiction so we weren't allowed to watch anything um you know right. science fiction downstairs in color so that's why you know it was a revelation when I finally started by, when the BBC started releasing the uh, Blake Seven on video cassette. That that was the very first time I'd actually seen them in colour. Yeah. Because to me, Blake Seven was black, black and white. So was Doctor Who. So was the Tomorrow People. So were <laughs> all these shows. And it, it, I think it's a testament to the film that you're watching it on a black and white portable, you know, yeah. and yet it still had a massive impact, you know. Yeah, I think. I mean, I was always. Um, you know, into the Jerry Anderson stuff as well. So anything with spaceships in and miniatures um, was just like right up my street. And, you know, I, I, I can't sort of really recall a time when I ever watched kind of um, a movie with spaceships or monsters or anything like that, where I actually thought this is real. I was kind of always in that mindset of I know how this was done. Mm. And it's quite a weird thing to be in. It's, it's you know, you, I kind of say that to a lot of people now. Um including my own kids, so, you know, I've, I've never sort of really watched something where I was thinking, oh, my God, this is real. It's always like a case of how was that done, you know? Mm, yeah. And I was always, even as a kid, sort of reading behind the scenes and things, uh, Rear Harry Horsen and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's kind of, I still enjoy them, but, you know, um, I do like that kind of aspect of, yeah, yeah how was that done, you know? Who, who made that, you know? Yeah, you're looking beyond the the effect to see how the effect was achieved, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny you should say the that the Jerry Anderson shows. I was always, you know, you've got a plane taking off, but you're looking at the background, which is on a roller, you know, and it's a painted piece of artwork moving past, you know, and yeah. things like that, you know. I think it might possibly stem from um, my, my granddad's back in the sort of early 70s. We'd watch war films like 633 Squadron and Mosquito Squadron and things like that. And you go, oh, that's just a model that is, you know. And I think it's probably that mentality of, you know, when the plane crashed or whatever, you know, they blew the dam up. That's just a model. And I think, you know, even as a toddler, that probably stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, and films like that, it, it, it was quite apparent 
you could tell when there was stock footage or they that they filmed a real plane and every time one crashed or blew up yeah that that it was quite jarring and and quite evident that's a that's an airfix kit that's just yeah, crashed yeah. onto the ground you know <laughs> so some somewhere in my sort of subconscious you know sort of that stuck with me probably from being you know maybe three or four year old of my my granddad sort of explaining what these things were mm. Mm. Okay, all right. Right, that's us uh, established with the film. Um, I think we'll go ahead now and uh, have a clip. Okay. On this first day of a new century, we humbly beg forgiveness and dedicate these last forests of our once beautiful in the hope that they will one day return and grace our foul earth. Until that day, may God bless these gardens and the brave men who care for them. Okay, um, I, I, I watched this this morning on Blu-ray. Um, have you got the Blu-ray? No, I've uh, I've actually only got um, an import Canadian import DVD. I haven't yet to get it on Blu-ray. So oh, I, I, I was going to say I've watched. I was going to say anybody that's a fan of this film, um, it's on blue at least in the UK. It's on blue Blu-ray from Eureka, and. I really do urge you to get it because it's a stunning transfer. It looks absolutely fantastic. You know the opening where you've got the the, the music starts and you see the uh, the wildlife there. Yeah, yeah. You you can literally see the grains of dust in the air. I I, right. know, I know they're using a macro lens for you know filming the snail and and the turtle, but you can actually see grains of dust and stuff in the air. You know that's how good it is. And it's a, it looks fantastic. You've got tons of uh, uh, extras on it, and it comes with this very in-depth uh, booklet as well. So you really must go out and get that, Andrew. You really yeah. should. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a search later on online for it. Oh, so. All right, okay. So <laughs> we start off, and Lau's at the, the kitchen sink there, isn't he? And he's opening the uh, – well, he's not opening the window. He's opening the shutter to the window. Yeah. And as, we, uh, as he does that, we get the drumbeat music starts, doesn't it? Yeah, and uh, sort of like the cuts to that out, like great outside shot, you know, like close up on the window. But you can tell that, yeah, we we're now outside of something like a window, mm. and um, you don't see that right right away. I mean, it just before we cut to outside, we get the president or whoever saying, "On this day of a new century, we yeah. humbly beg forgiveness." So you're automatically listening on that, and then we get the switch around, and we're looking into, and we slowly start pulling back. Mm. And as you pull back and you see the window and you see that, you know, the window is set into something. I, I was watching that this morning and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what we're seeing there. Are we seeing some sort of like composite shot, do you think, of that? Or is it back projection and then there's actually a small mm. uh, screen built into the model? Yeah, it, I, I, I'm fairly sure it's uh, like a reprojection shot. I, I don't think... You know, I mean, the the only other way really to do it would have been to probably do it as an actual foreground miniature um, mm. and actually have him in the distance in the real kitchen. But I think it's definitely real projection. 
Yeah, the, um, it, it's not a composite because there's no sign of a matte line or anything there. It's it's very clean, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is brilliant because it means that they're actually filming that live. A bit like, you know, in Alien, uh, a couple of shots where you see uh, um, the Nostromo cockpit window and then the Narcissus window. But that was a, like a TV monitor sort of thing. But it is being filmed live, isn't it? So as that camera's pulling back away from the model, they are projecting the footage onto this little tiny little screen, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder whether that was like 16 mil projection hmm. possibly into there um, it might have even even been eight mil you, yeah you, you never yeah. know yeah mm. anyway the, the camera starts pulling back further and we start seeing uh, a repetitive use of kit parts up and around where the flag is and everything do you recognize any of the kit parts you've been a model maker oh yeah um i mean you know there's this sort of notorious thing that they've used about 650 plus Panzer tanks and all these type of things. So there's lots of like bits and pieces you will recognise if you've ever built any of those kits. But it's it's the use of them what's so nice. You know, it's the fact that you know if ever I've built a kit, I've probably only got three of them. Yeah. But they, they've obviously got you know hundreds to work with, so they've got them in rows, and you know that's what's nice about it. It's their uh, positioning of these kit parts. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't say there's anything on there where you think, oh my god, why did they use that part? You know, that's such an obvious piece. I think. They've been very selective of the parts they've used. There is one thing that I recognise, and it's those... I think there's six of them, and some of them are painted differently, but as the camera pulls a bit further out, I, I'm sure it's a Tamiya mi military kit. It's sort of like a plate with a slot in it, like an L-shaped sl slot. Yeah, the, are they uh, hexagonal shapes? Yeah, that's yeah. the ones. I know, I know I've used them before. It's from a tank kit, or at least, you know, a military. It's a Tamiya kit. I know it's a Tamiya kit, but I'll be blowed if I can remember which kit it's from. And I've tried looking online to uh, find the kit identification of it, and I can't find it. And it's driving me nuts. <laughs> it's, it really yeah, is. I'm, I'm looking at it now, um, and I don't seem to recognize those. So it's obviously a kit I've never actually had, but... Uh, the sort of above and below the window, there's a whole run. I think they are the kind of the hatches with the hinges off the yeah. Panzer tanks. And as you say, they've got such a bigger budget. I mean, you and I, you know, we started off and we're buying kits with our pocket money. Um, yeah. And then and later on, you know, it becomes quite restrictive just how much you can spend your money on. But these guys, again, like the guys working on Alien, they had unrestricted funds and they were just buying up dozens and dozens of these kits, weren't they? Yeah, and what, what's nice about it, although the actual sort of panel is quite clean, there's no real dirt streaking down it, they've gone into the attention of actually trying to break it up into sort of slightly different shades of colour. Mm. I mean, we've we've got some sort of almost like duck egg blue, yeah. and there's some browns in there, and there's a little bit of almost like pink in there. Yeah, and there's creams as well and everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean again, this is, we're back to the realistic thing that you were talking about earlier. I mean, it wouldn't... I mean, there's no engine part or anything nearby. It wouldn't be weathered, you know. Yeah. It doesn't go in the atmosphere like the Millennium Falcon. So it wouldn't be weathered. So they've in, instead they've broken it, things up with colours, which, which is done really, really well, I think. Yeah, and it's got like a nice sort of, you know, there's, there's slatted sections and then there's the kind of, you know, those parts you're on about in the corner. So there's like a lot to draw the eye. And then you've got the, the Valley Forge logo. You've got the um, the American flag. You've got the AA, American Airlines Space Threat logo. You've got the, the other one, which is the um, 
I can't quite see what it says, but it's the Valley Forge thing which with the, the tree on that kind yeah. of triangular logo. I wonder how they did these because of course that they're not, you know, they're not commercially available decals which have been or decals uh, for our American listeners, um, yeah. they're not commercially available reused ones. So I'm guessing these were were actually um, hand printed, or they they, they they were created specifically for uh, for this miniature, I guess. Yeah, the American Airlines one I'm looking at here, the actual uh, word America and Airlines, they look like they've probably just been printed on the possibly paper. Right, right. And you can you can see the edge of them, so I don't think the transfers. No, no. They, they, but it's done blooming well, you know, yeah. as, particularly for its time as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and, anyway, after we've pulled back quite a bit, we get a fade into a, a full length, well, what will eventually be a full length model shot of the Valley Forge. And all the details and the decals, um, they're all replicated there. But now the window is just a white panel, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, I think even as a kid, that bugged me because... You've got that obvious kind of connection between the, the stars and stripes, the logos, so you, your eye is drawn to them, but then mm. what you want to see is that little point of light. Yeah, you would have thought they would have just backed it with a light or something like that. Yeah, um, if it was sort of 16 mil, you think they could have even actually put a window and actually put a frame of the 16 mil in there and just like backlit it or... or anything you know just to sort of give you the idea of that's where you are because these days that would be one long pull out wouldn't it you know you'd yeah. start off and you know you'd start off at his face it'd pull back and the whole ship and everything be revealed in one go like in event horizon when you've got sam neil at that window and then it pulls back and back yeah, and back yeah. and he sees in that space station don't we yeah, yeah. so it, it would be like that but you know i think i remember sort of like said 13 14 or whatever and seeing this and thinking ah. Oh, the the light's not there anymore and being slightly disappointed by that you know hmm. see i always thought that they 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 would have made a large uh section where the window is for that pullback and then they cut to the the, the actual studio model of the valley forge but those when you see this fade and we go into this bit and you can see the you know it's now a white plate all those decals, everything are exactly the same as what we've just seen. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming then that this, this back projection was actually built into one model, you know, and we're just seeing two shots of the same thing rather than a separate larger bit just for the, the window area. No, no, I, I, I get the feeling um, that it is two separate models. Um, oh, you do? Yeah, because the, the Valley Forge itself, the actual full miniature, I think, was around about 26 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you actually sort of like work out the the section that that's taking place in um, and, and you look at the kit parts around it in the lo- in, in the wider shot, you're sort of still seeing bits of tank kit in there, which mm-hmm. means that the scale has obviously now changed in terms of, you know, the way the parts are laid out. Yeah. Uh, so, so suddenly a part which would be tiny on the the big miniature is now quite large on the smaller miniature. Um, mm. So I think yeah, it's def- it's definitely a different shot, and it's the fact that you know they've gone to that attention to detail to do like we said the logos, but then somebody obviously didn't think it was worthwhile putting the window in. Yeah. It's not like even even the windows shapes there, even like that the windows meant to be now shut again. Um, it's just they forgot to put the window in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, 
but when we do see the the, the 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 longer shots the larger shots of valley forge i love all the orange tubing yeah. I, I i they didn't have to make that orange but obviously you, you know they're thinking visually how can we make this break this up a bit and make it not look too i guess all, all monochromic so they've put orange in which i think yeah. is fabulous yeah, it's uh, what was it based on? Something in uh, was it in Tokyo or something like the Os- Osaka Tower? Or yeah, something? yeah. I was going to get onto that in behind, behind the scenes. Yeah, um, Douglas Trumbull went there to the expo in 1970, and yeah, that, right. that, that, there's a there was a tower there, um, you know, which inspired this. Yeah, um, very industrial looking. I always think of it as looking like um, part of an oil refinery or something yeah. like that. You know. Um, and I love the, as I say, I love the color of orange. And every time I watch Return of the Jedi, when you see the second Death Star with its orange girder work, I yeah. always think of the Valley Forge, you know. But uh, I mean, it's, a, it's like looking at the full ship, you know, the actual, I suppose it's from like, you know, front, front to back or whatever. Um, it was 26 foot, um, which is half the size of what Discovery was for 2001. That was 54 mm. foot. Mm. So it's still about two foot shorter than even the Discovery. Mm. Um, so I think it, it, to me, it holds up really, really well in the long shots. But I think that kind of what we're on about the pullback there is like when it goes from the what I think is the large scale model then to the slightly smaller, it doesn't quite hold up to that mm. scrutiny of the close up. But once we start seeing it in the wider shots, it's fantastic. Mm. It, it's almost like they could have done with a sort of an interim model to kind of like go between the, the, the large section and the full yeah. ship, like, yeah. like, like a mid-scale section, really. Yeah. Uh, I also like in this shot, you, you, you've got the other two ships in the background and, and that's a, a, a still or it's being rear projected again, you know, yeah. rather yeah. than building three models, they've only got one model and they're getting around it uh, like this. Mm, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I heard it with just photographic cutouts. Now, I don't know whether the, the you know, photographic cutouts, like visual, physically hanging there in the backgrounds, you know, or, or what, because I think a lot of these uh, shots were done from projection, not, um, they weren't rotoscoped, mm. um, and they weren't actually hanging in front of star backgrounds. I think they were all shot from projection. Mm. It's done very well. I mean, as I say, I watched it on Blu-ray, and we've got a, quite a big TV, and uh, it, they hold up. I mean, it's it's apparent that they are a still. It's a still image, but it's not jarring at all. It's not like oh oh that 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 that, that hasn't dated well. It it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, it's, it's because it's it's not doing anything really. It's just drifting, isn't it? It's side on, and you know, there's no perspective shift or anything. If the camera was moving closer, then you'd expect a like perspective shift. But yeah, it's the fact that it's a stationary shot. Hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, I think the, the work fine. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, is we only see three ships, but it was actually eight ships supposedly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, which which does get talked about i think you hear them on the intercom later on mentioning a lot of the other ships yeah yeah i i, I mean they they obviously had a, a a decent budget but it wasn't that decent a budget yeah <laughs> you know? yeah but then i i love the next bit i love how the drum beat music uh suddenly uh switches to symbols when we cut to a a, a new shot of yeah. the ship and it's including the domes and i love the way the domes on these ships they could have just been you, you know in a row but they're not they're at like 45 degrees to 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 each other you know and visually i mean i think that's brilliant 
Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you kind of think, how would that actually work? Because we don't get any kind of idea that the ship has any kind of zero gravity. Um, mm. it, it pays to have gravity. So, you know, you'd assume that these domes that are upside down, everything would be kind of tipping up. But um, mm. you've just got to go with it, haven't you? That's that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, that, 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 that's inferred later on when we see a close-up of one of the domes and you can see a waterfall there. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, you know, going, you know, from top to bottom of the screen. It's sort of like a, an angle, and that's inferring the fact that there is artificial gravity throughout, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also, sorry. I was going to say, the one thing I, I did notice in these shots, because I think there were front projections, is around the actual domes, there's a slight kind of bloom. Um, and I don't know whether that's to do with the front projection or whether it's to do with the filter that we're using, but just, you know, there's a little bit of a kind of halo around the ship. Mm. Uh, you know, it's 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 not like um, something that you criticise, but I always remember that, and that I think that's probably part of the front projection process. Yeah, I don't. And I, again, I haven't got a problem with it, and I don't think the audience back in the early seventies would have had a problem with any of this whatsoever. You know? Oh no, no. I mean, these to me, these effects sit alongside two thousand and one perfectly fine. You know. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, you know, I was thinking about it when I was watching it this morning. You can. You could see the Valley Forge being almost from the same uh, stable as the Discovery. It could be made in the same shipyards at the same time, you know, um, easily, I think. Yeah, um, I think sort of, I always thought that Greg Jean worked on this, but I don't think he actually did. I think he was probably a couple of years, uh, you know, after when he was working on stuff like Dark Star and Flesh Gordon. But, um, you know, I think I it know. was... I, no, I think his name was... Either he worked on it or I, I know he was bequeathed or he owned and then he passed on some of the um, the storage boxes, you know, the containers. He right. had some of those. But I can't remember whether he actually worked on it or he worked with somebody who had worked on it. But there is a connection somewhere. Yeah, but, I, know, um, I know that quite a few of the guys who worked with John Dykstra on it ended up working then further up down the line on things like Galactica and stuff mm, like that with him. Yeah. Um, and uh, you have obviously have Douglas Trumbull, who came from 2001. And then I think his father, Don Trumbull, worked on it as well, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I think this is so cool that you've got this, like, this, like, like group of uh, uh, technicians and model makers uh, who were all, you know, pals and they worked together and then they went off and some of these guys went off and did that. And they were responsible for this core of, you know, 70s science fiction model making and special effects shots. Um yeah, I, I I just think that's a brilliant notion, you know. Yeah, it, you know, the the sad thing is with a lot of this is these days, you know, everybody's got mobile phones with cameras and things like that. So stuff like this, which isn't getting done now, would be so well archived and sort of like photographed. But back then, you know, there wasn't that many people doing. It. Or if they did take the photographs, they've still got the negatives in a an attic somewhere, just like you know, gathering dust. Mm. But, you know, the amount of behind-the-scenes pictures from movies like this are sadly, you know, quite rare. Yeah. Uh, I know that this, the Cinefix um, from um, some of the early editions, the Cinefix had some behind-the-scenes, and the documentary certainly has some. But, um, yeah, th these days, if a model like this was made, I think there'd be hundreds of photographs of it up online. 
Yeah, yeah. There is a very good website. I, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, um, I'll be putting up on the Facebook page a link to it, which is very, very in-depth. I mean, if you ever want to uh, scratch build one of these. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't list the kit parts, which is what I was looking for. But there, right. th- there are a, a, an incredible amount of photos of the detail work on the Valley Forge and on the domes, on the underside of the domes and stuff like that. But like you say, there's not much in the way of uh, behind the scenes photos, not many. There are quite a few or a few in this booklet that comes with a Blu-ray. But like you say, you you would like there to be more, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, I think it's just a case of anything from that sort of era, really, isn't it? I mean, I think it wasn't until probably around about the time that, you know, Lucas made Star Wars that we started seeing kind of proper behind the scenes photographs and mm you know, sort of coverage of the effects. But before that, I mean, you know, I, I just don't think... Either we just weren't bothered and, you know, didn't think anyone would be actually interested in seeing these things. Yeah, uh, I don't wh- think it wh- occurred to them. Yeah. Where, now, where now it is like gold dust, isn't it? You know, if you can find yeah. sort of behind-the-scenes pictures from, you know, these films, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, we, we carry on seeing all these different views of the Valley Forge and, and we're introduced to the drones here. Um, the first time we see a drone he's on a walkway looking down onto another section and again in the background there is a photograph uh it's a still of the domes in the background um which is uh, again still still a a good shot uh still holds up yeah uh again it might be from projection might be reprojection Hmm. might might be just a, a big printout i'm not too sure um but yeah it's it's a great shot i mean those drones I mean, they're still, they're still amazing. Like, probably my favourite robot in any movie. I think they're just such a great design. Um, and it wasn't until years and years later when I actually sort of discovered there was actually people inside them. Hmm. Um, I, pr- probably when I first ever seen it, I assumed there were, there were maybe even stop motion. I didn't know maybe how they were done. Um, you know, in, in, especially in those wide shots when they're actually walking because th- there was obviously like, you know, nothing to say there's a person inside this thing. Hmm. Um, I always thought when I when I was younger watching it that it was some sort of a rod puppet affair because it 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 couldn't be radio controlled. You didn't have radio t- control technology that good <coughs> back in the seventies. So I just figured there was somebody out of shot with rods or something or operating it. But uh, yeah, no, it was quite a surprise when uh, when I found out there was actually people inside. You know. Yeah. Um, but those those shots of them, you know, working on the ships, great because you know it gives them real purpose as well. You know, the, the fact that they are just a maintenance drone and the sort of scene and the welding and doing all this stuff just on the outside and, um, but yeah, yeah. they're fantastic. Yeah, and and if it weren't for these, then we wouldn't have R two D two because you know it's gone on record that George Lucas was massively influenced by this film and by you know Huey, Dewey, and Louie to yeah. create R two D two. You know. Yeah. And the differences with these is like where Kenny Baker's actually sat inside like R2D2 cylinder and he doesn't have to take any weight. The these guys were having to take the weight of the entire robot on their arms. Hmm. So, you know, everything was I think was made from just really, really light you know, probably some kind of vac form plastic. You know, and they've probably weighed a fraction of what R two D two did. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they're actually walking around like E. T. was on, on the on these hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, they are incredible. And, and I mean, well, 
I can't watch this film without tearing up at the end, you know, and uh, yeah. a lot of it is to do with the character of the drones. They they don't speak as we speak. They that they chirp yeah. and they whistle. And yeah. uh, when one of them gets, you know, damaged, you know, you get upset. When he dies, you get upset. And and at the end, when you've got the last one in the dome and he's still and, and you just know he's going to yeah. go on for eternity, maintaining these forests completely alone. I'm a blubbering wreck at the yeah. end of this film every time. You know? It's it's also like the the mannerisms, the way they stand. They have that kind of thing where they can stand, but they can lean back slightly or lean forward slightly. Yeah, and 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 that just it's it's kind of like the equivalent to me of kind of Gromit's face. He can do everything with his eyebrows. Yeah, and and they can do the similar thing just with the way they stand. So you know, just that like little bit of leaning back. It's almost like I'm listening, or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I love my, my favorite moment of them is when uh, Lau is reprogramming them and you see one of them and he's just tapping his toe. Yeah, he's wait. He's waiting for the program to come through and he's yeah. just tapping. his. And when they're cheating at cards as well, when they're playing him at cards, do you remember? And they like, like yeah. they, they're showing each other their cards. Well, I, I think when, when Lau first shows up in that sequence, I think he actually taps him like the other one's almost asleep and he taps him and says he's like he's here. Yeah, he just like yeah. knocked him on the side. Yeah, so so here we have a science fiction film in the early seventies, uh, which is being played dead straight and dead serious. But you've got character being attributed to robots, which is mm. something that won't happen properly until seventy seven uh, yeah. with George Lucas. You know? Yeah, well, it, it kind of reminds me almost of that sort of bit in the um, the Jawa Sandcrawler where three PO pushes R two and sort of says, "Wake up!" You know, it, yeah. it, it was a similar sort of uh, shot, you know, of him. Tap, tapping him and i said three yeah. PO does it slightly more you know aggressively but uh yeah it's it's great great stuff and, and also in the sand crawler there you've got and the, the gonk droid the way the gonk droid sort of wobbles as he walks always reminds me of the drones as well yeah and i know he's got feet but there's a there's something about them that is <laughs> the boxiness of him and the way that he walks i think is very there's a, there's more of a waddle isn't it to the yeah the waddle that's yeah. the word waddle yeah. there you go yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, talking about Star Wars, the last shot in this sequence um, is something I didn't really think about until today. I, I don't know if this is George Lucas saw this and thought, oh, uh, that's interesting. But the last time in this sequence that you see the Valley Forge, it's almost a reverse of the first time you see the Star Destroyer in the first Star Wars in that. It's it's going away from us yeah. into the distance, but instead of being from the underside and we're looking up at the Star Destroyer, we're above the Valley Forge and we're looking down on it as it very slowly moves away from us. And that, I I don't know, like I say, if George Lucas saw that or, or an effects guy saw that and thought, well, we could do something similar or what? I don't know. Yeah, well, you've you've got the shot of Discovery in two thousand and one when you first oh, ever of course, see yeah. that, and that's kind of it, it, that. You're slightly below it, and it's also coming in, but it's coming in from the left-hand side to the right-hand mm. side, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which is a, a long ship. But, yeah, this is kind of more looking down the length of the ship. I, I get what you mean there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's just one of them things, isn't it? Sort of cer certain miniatures, I think, or certain objects just look better from certain angles. Um, and they lend themselves to being photographed in a certain way. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. I mean... I, I mean Everyone says about the Star Destroyer, and quite rightly, but um, I think it was in War Games, the Space 1999 episode War Games, where you've got Martin Bauer's Battlecruiser, and that comes over the head of the camera and goes off into the distance, exactly the same way as the Star Destroyer did, but but maybe, what, two years before before they filmed Star Wars, 
You know, yeah. Brian Johnson and his crew had done exactly the same thing. And I think it's because you, when you have a ship that shape, you know, mm. certain shots lend themselves very well to it. Yeah. You know, there was um, there's been cases in um, other movies. I think it was Alien Resurrection. The original Orega was going to be kind of more of a, a, a space station. And Costa were filming in two thirty-five to one ratio. They said any kind of like shot of it fully was almost like it—you couldn't get it far enough away because it just became like a speck. So they decided to sort of like make more of a, a thing they could put on the side so they can track it past the camera. Uh, that, yeah, you know, that's it, what. Giant, yeah, sorry. I was going to say if if like the if the Valley Forge was a tower and it was actually flying kind of you know upright and the, the domes are all around the top, then the long shots just wouldn't have worked, would they? It's the fact that you can actually have it kind of going away or coming towards or yeah. past. Um, Wasn't that also the case that, um, uh, was it Sid Mead who, who did the designs on Aliens? The original Silarco was going to be a ball with engines behind it, but J- James Cameron said, no, I, I want to have a wide wide shot of it going left to right, and that's yeah. why they made it into like a blade shape, because yeah. then the camera would pick up all the detail a lot better. Yeah, you can kind of slice through the shot as opposed to if it's this ball, it just, yeah, it's very difficult, you know, to sort of track past the surface, because... Yeah. The surface would obviously then get kind of closer and closer and closer and closer to the camera and then start getting further and further and further and further away. Yeah, as, as, it's, as it, it's as not it the same. Past, no, and it, it would just look odd. Yeah. And yeah. it would be really hard to keep the depth of field as well, wouldn't it, on trackings around mm-hmm. something that was mm-hmm. circular. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that's, that, that's the sequence over. So uh, we'll go into behind the scenes. Um, I, I, I don't know how much info you've got there, but I got an awful lot of it. For, as I say, um, there's a booklet that comes with a Blu-ray, and uh, um, it comes from a guy called Wayne Smith, who was one of the special effects guys, um, writing in 1972. Okay? Yeah, well, if it's the Wayne Smith I'm thinking of, then he definitely was one of the guys who set up Heartland Studios, which did the Galactica and the Buck Rogers special effects. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, did he actually work on Silent Running, or was he just writing? Yes, the book? no, no, no. He, he. Uh, as I say, this is an article that's been reprinted in in the booklet, and he did work on uh, the Valley Forge. And uh, apparently, he went with Douglas Trumbull to the uh, the Osaka Expo in Japan. Okay. Um, and he talks about how you know uh, Douglas Trumbull was very impressed by this three hundred foot tall uh, modular building. Um, and and the Valley Forge was based on that, okay. Yeah. And according to Wayne, like you say, it's twenty six feet long, uh, and he says it took eight months to build, right? Uh, with thirty people working on it at various times. Yeah, because okay. I, I assume that the, the all of the main superstructure, all of that kind of framework, must be steel or must be copper or. Well, he says the base of the ship was a pipe plat a pipe platform, um, four feet wide and twenty feet long. It's it's got it's got to be metal. It can't just be plastic. It would sag, wouldn't it? With, yeah, yeah. W- with the weight of everything. And he says the widest section, you know, that midsection, uh, was made from wood and steel, uh, um, and clad in plastic card. So that's an awful lot of weight there as well. So yeah, I'm guessing it must be, it must be metal tubing. Yeah, and I suppose this was like the days before. Kind, of, I mean, obviously way way before any kind of 3D printing technology. But even they probably weren't even doing as much vac forming back then. So that's why there was quite literally 650 kits used because you know they, yeah. these these days they'd probably be making silicon molds and you know doing yeah. um acrylic pieces so you can actually just build one and then have multiples but it yeah. looks like they didn't have none of that 
no. uh, at their disposal. So it was the next choice is to literally buy 650 kits. Well, Wayne says 850 kits. Right. Okay. <laughs> he he says eight, that the direct quote is 850 Japanese kits. Yeah. Ta- so ta- I'm, Tamiya. Probably. Tamiya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I wonder if they um, got, I wonder if they get them a trade. Yeah, well you would hope, wouldn't you? <laughs> you know. I I I know, you know, the um uh, um the BBC, you know, in the early 80s, um they had a deal with um Airfix right. where you know, they would buy up um a lot of the kits at trade price because they weren't boxed. They would just buy buy them as sprues. They they weren't bothered about the boxing or the packaging or anything like that. So maybe it was uh, that they had something similar going on there. Yeah. You know? um, what else have I got? Uh, the domes were two feet in diameter each. Yeah. Uh, and they had holes drilled in, how do you say it, geodesic patterns. Yeah, because it's that kind of crisscross grid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's um, gr- that's great because... I think if they were just domes, the, it wouldn't work. It's the the fact that they've got that pattern and that's where the lights are. You know, the floodlights are all in there, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, so I think and that... It, yeah, yeah, and it helps, you know, give you a sense of scale, especially when, when you first see Lau, he's in one of the domes and you look up and you see that you've got this girder, crisscross girder work yeah. in the top of the dome. Um, without it, I don't think... You know, a couple of years later, you had Logan's Run where you had the Dome City and they were just like, blank domes and there's no sense of scale to yeah, that whatsoever yeah. you know so yeah these domes um i mean this is way before the the eden project which is down south in the uk so he must have seen geodesic domes somewhere else but i'm not too sure where mm. um but it's it's the fact that um you know it's it's the, the dome itself is smooth and then this lattice work's been added inside you know it would have been a lot more difficult to actually build up a dome from ge- geometric shapes yeah uh, which you could probably do now, um, you know, especially, uh, you know, with 3D printing and stuff like that. But uh, it yeah. just, like you said, it adds add some real sense of scale. Yeah. Have you been down to the Eden project? No. I no, want to but... go solely to just stand in there amongst all this nature and look up and just imagine that, you know, you're on the Valley Forge. Yeah. Can, can you go at night? I assume you can go in the winter when it's dark oh, outside. Be brilliant, so. wouldn't it? At yeah. night, on a starlit night, that would be even better. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. got to right. We got we, we got to make a, a cardboard drone and uh, <laughs> go go down there and just just for a photo opportunity of doing that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, go down in cosplay and uh, you go, you go down there with your your tourniquet thing wrapped around your leg. Yeah. There you go. Right. Right. Salted. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, not got much more. Um, apparently the the glue. Um, um, that they used on the Valley Forge uh, wasn't very good and parts would often right. fall off during filming. I don't know if this is like an early version of superglue that they were using or what, but uh, yeah, apparently it wasn't too too uh, much cop. Well, one, one thing I've not been able to actually find was the budget. Now, I know that this was part of this... Um, Universal did this initiative, didn't they, after Easy Rider, where they wanted to make five movies for a million each. Mm. Um and I've got a list here of the other movies. There was a film called Hired Hands. There was one called The Last Movie, one called Taking Off, and one of them was American Graffiti. Um, now, all of the other films got released in either 71 or 72. Graffiti was released in uh, 73, I think it was. Mm. And that only cost 777000 so it didn't even use the full million. Right. Um, I'm not too sure whether Silent Running used the full million or whether it was less expensive, more expensive, what. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 
Well, uh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, one last thing. Um, I oh, know two last things. Sorry. Um, there's not much of the ship left. Well, I'm not surprised if bits of it are falling off while you're filming it. But there's not much left. But apparently, uh, one of the surviving domes is or, or was at uh, a place called the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame in oh, Seattle, right. um, which I want to go and, and visit just for the name of it, let alone what's yeah. in there. Um, right. So, yeah, that that is or was there. And the the, the last bit I've got, um, you know, it's um, ironic seeing as you've been mentioning, you know, John Dykstra and the people going on mm. to work for, uh, um, you know, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar, yeah. Of course, yeah. the footage of the Valley Forge was reused um, in Battlestar Galactica, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite cringeworthy as well really i remember uh, i can't remember you know. what they called it i can't remember what they said it was they were they were just called agricultural ships yeah that's uh, right i think yeah. or ag- agro ships but yeah. uh, uh, i know that trumbull also used the footage when they did the star lost and it was the original kind of pitch for the star lost which was the thing he did with hal and ellison back in the 70s mm-hmm. And uh, I think you can find that up on YouTube. And it was like a, a promotional video explaining about, you know, what the show was about and showing you how they were going to... I think they were using that system called Magicam yeah. at the time. Um, and, yeah, the the, sh- the shots of the ship were the silent running ship. Um, but then the actual ship built for the show was a completely different ship altogether and nowhere near as good. You know, mm. it was actually mm. fairly, fairly poor model, really. Mm. Um, I think it was like one of these, like, projects that was like really really hyped and overblown but then it just amounted to nothing and yeah. i think even hal and ellison had his name changed on the credits to disguise the fact he'd worked on it see that's not good that's not no. good <laughs> no, not good at all no have you seen any concept art for uh what the valley forge originally was going to look like i think i've only ever seen one kind of pencil illustration and i think it's fairly close to the finished thing i've never seen anything you know you would normally probably see at least a few kind of slightly different versions, wouldn't you? Like we were on about the Salako earlier on. Mm. Uh, but I don't think, I think it was probably one of those things that sometimes the, the first idea is often the best. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, um, in, in that booklet with the Blu-ray, there are a couple. And as you say, they, they, they are black and white illustrations, but as well as going um, horizontally that, that there's, in these original ones, they, they, there's more vertical parts going on as well, and they they reminded me an awful lot of the uh, is it the, the Leonov the Leonov in oh, yeah. 2010, yeah, um, and also a bit I'm reminded a bit of the Event Horizon, and also for some reason it reminds me of the the Icarus in Sunshine. If you took the the the, the shield off of the Icarus, yeah, um, yeah, very similar to that. I, again, I'll, I'll post them up on the Facebook page for people to have a look at and compare yeah. and contrast. Again, it might have just been one of those things with parts going up and you know through distraction and will it will it get in the way of the camera if it's coming in from certain angles? And also, you can't get in that close. If if you want to get it all in frame, you've got to pull right back. If there if there is an awful lot going on vertically as well as yeah, uh, horizontally, yeah. you know. Yeah, that that's probably one of the the things. And uh, when, when you were on about the glue earlier on, I'm just thinking you you mentioned about that centre section being kind of made quite a lot from wood, and you know it probably was a case of it might have been made from wood, and it might have just been painted and sanded, and the parts were getting glued onto like literally bare paint. Yeah. And that's you know, not going to uh, hold well, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's not getting. It's not like they've then clad it in styrene, and you know, it's getting glued on the styrene. It's probably getting glued on the materials. You, you know what it's like. I mean, you've glued 
various different types of materials together and some are great and some just will not glue no, for no. the life you know <laughs> and even even with some modern glues there's certain things that are just really really difficult to glue so yeah you can you can imagine it back then some sometimes uh, i'm trying to attach two things and, and and i'm almost resorting to nailing it because <laughs> it's oh, yeah, definitely yeah. going to work <laughs> yeah I, i've i've certainly screwed parts together before because you yeah. can actually where I can get them to actually physically attaches to put a screw through them and then sort of disguise where the screw was yeah know. yeah uh, <laughs> but again, again you know that that's what I was saying earlier on about the kind of the, the photographing of these things. Nobody, when they made these things, expected you know it to wanted to be seen years later. And you know they often built these things, shot them, and then they were just binned. Mm. You know, and looking back in hindsight, you know it would be great if these things were saved. But you know, most of these productions. I mean, I've heard stories about film sets before where you know they they've built a set and they literally have to kind of like film on one set and then move to the next and while they're filming on the next set there's literally guys tearing down the first set yeah and they have to tell them to be quiet while they film the next take because they're, they're tearing down the set they've just been on didn't um, they do that with the millennium falcon didn't they have to do that with the millennium falcon they had to like really quickly get rid of the full size thing because they needed to move <laughs> turn that into dagobah or something like that and a lot of that was damaged or destroyed because they were in such a rush i think yeah yeah probably i mean you know these studios the labino the films went they probably go into the sound stages so yeah. you know what, what what do you do you know you can't store it anywhere else it's just got to get binned and yeah you know what the unfortunately um you know what you're on about the battlestar galactica using the, the footage is uh, you know supposedly one of the reasons why kubrick destroyed a lot of the miniatures um, from 2001 and the suits and the sets and props because he didn't want them turning up anywhere else yeah, did he yeah, yeah he didn't want them showing up in lost in space or whatever um <laughs> you know so you know the, the two the two sides of that argument was one is uh, he said mgm couldn't afford to store them so they destroyed them and you know the other side is kubrick wanted them destroyed because he mm. didn't want them showing up and i believe it's the kubrick side of things he genuinely didn't want them showing up in someone else's production. Have you seen uh, that photo of a bit of the space station at the side of the road? Yeah, yeah. D- and, down by, it's like a, near a gas tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and apparently somebody recognised it, went home to get the van, um, yeah. to, 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 and, and it had gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. Uh, just like dumped in the middle of nowhere. But, yeah. You know, um, and then obviously... Um, a fairly weird only was it last year year before when they actually found the Ares 1b yeah uh, which everybody and, you know, thought had been like yeah you, you know smashed yeah. up back in the 60s yeah. and yeah. Uh, and you and you could see from the photographs of that going back to what we're saying about the silent running miniatures you can see where the the panels are starting to lift and it's mm. on wood mm. um and you know this the, the screws and things are starting to flake and it, yeah it's just the way these things were made they weren't made to last they were made to be plonked in front of the camera shot and that's the end of it isn't yeah, it so yeah, yeah. you know and also um, i mean you, you just reminded me there it was the same with the nostromo you know they did that restoration project on the nostromo and yeah that was the same thing all yeah. the plastic was lifting off of the uh off yeah. of the wooden frame the, the the thing i always kind of uh, say to people it's like the the fans often make better versions of the model than the one that was in the movie because you often see the close-ups of these miniatures in books, and you can see where they've been broken off the sprue, and they haven't even sanded the the, the bit where it's been broken off the sprue yeah. because you know they just need to get them broken off, get them glued on, and get them filmed. Uh, yeah. But you know, if if you actually have time to stand in front of a museum piece type model, you know, you you would really notice that. So the fans who were building replicas of the Millennium Falcon, 
and uh, the X-Wing and stuff like that are doing better jobs. Uh, and I think it was Lon Peterson, he's seen um, a version of the Escape Pod that a fan had made. And he said, that is way, way better than what we did. You know, he said, he said, he said we had like a day and a half to make yeah. our Escape Pod. He said, you've obviously spent months on yours. He said, yours is way better than ours. Um, you know, and real museum piece, like, you know, quality. But he said, you know, we we don't have those luxuries, you know. And yeah. uh, isn't it also the case of isn't it the stormtrooper helmet from Star Wars that if if you make it symmetrical, it's not right because the 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 original one, something about one side it, it wasn't symmetrical. That the, the eye or something was a bit down on one side rather than the other. So if you try and make it pure, it's not quite right because the original had flaws. You know? Yeah, uh, probably to do with the vac forming. But the, the similar case is the Cybermen, isn't it, from the Earthshock are very mm. much the same. Um, again, uh, there was something to do when they actually made the mold that it sagged slightly, so they aren't symmetrical. But again, fans have made symmetrical versions, which are technically better than the one the BBC made. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of this. <laughs> it, you know, it is that kind of smoke and mirrors, isn't it? We're not expected to scrutinise these things. No, um, no, nobody when they made these things thought that, you know, the general public would be able to have a method of actually freeze framing and yeah. studying these things you know, yeah. many years later. And I've, I've seen people do reconstructions of that um, silent running panel, you know, where Lowell stood in the window mm-hmm. um, on various replica prop forums and places like that. And again, if you'd have told the guy who made the original that in 40 years time, someone would be making a replica of that, you know, uh, he'd have probably thought we were mad. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the way it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Right. That's, that's us done on, on behind the scenes. So, um, it's traditional now, Andrew, um, to ask for a rating off of you, please. Right. Okay. The criteria being, yeah, I was going to say 10, 10 is the best. Uh, one is about the worst thing you've ever seen and a five is, is average. Right. Um, as a, as a sequence, I mean, it's got to be a 10, Mm -hmm. you know, as as an actual impactive sequence and what it does with the music and everything is definitely a 10, probably on a technical level. Um, some shots definitely work better than others. So I'd probably give it more of a nine, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's still absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's still, you know, one of my favorite sequences in the movie, uh, but the ears, like you said, the odd, the odd shot, probably the miniature, or um, you know, the odd bit of reprojection, maybe he's of the robots on the deck. Way it's quite obviously a projected background, but uh, you know that is just a nitpick, really, on my okay. on my behalf. Yeah, so I'd give it a nine. A nine, right? Okay. Uh, with me, yep, it's a classic sequence. Uh, it was a classic sequence then when I watched it on a black and white portable. <laughs> And it's a classic se- sequence now, which still holds up brilliantly. So I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to do the same. I'm going with a nine as well. Yeah. So it gets a nine out of ten. Oh, that's good. Excellent. All right. Is that, is that the highest so far then? No, no, no. At, as at time of recording, um, we we have a nine and a half. Oh. Which, uh, yeah, it would have been out by now. Nine and a half, I think, is the uh, asteroid sequence from Empire Strikes Back. Right. And the only thing that beat that so far is the opening of uh, Star Wars A New Hope, the Star Destroyer, Tanta V4 scene. Uh, all right. So oh, it's well, in very good company. That's understandable. Isn't it? In yeah, very, it very yeah. good company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, de- defi- definitely. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, thanks for your time today, Andrew. Um, it's great. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. 
before you go, is there anywhere anybody can uh, seek you out? Yeah, I've I've got a Facebook um, page, Morbid Decay Effects. So if you do a search for that on Facebook, then uh, I've got a page with my makeup work and artwork and some of my CG work, a bit of everything really. So yeah, you can look me there. I'll put a link on that on our, on the Facebook page as well, so folks yeah. can get to you from there, okay? Okay, yeah, cheers. All right, well, thanks for your time, um, Andrew. Thank you, anybody that's been uh, listening, and uh, see you again next time. Bye-bye.